and the rest of us go to John 17. As you're going there, we'll do a little bit of review. We've been looking at our theme for the year, Christ at the Center, uh, from Colossians chapter 1. And of course, Colossians 1 uh, instructs us that in all things, he might have the preeminence, Colossians 1.18. And so we have been looking at this in various contexts, and most recently been looking at him being preeminent in our worldview. And uh, we've seen uh, part one, part two, and then, Lord willing, tonight, uh, this morning, part three. The worldview is a particular philosophy of life or perception of the world. Everybody has a worldview, and uh, uh, we are tasked as Christians uh, to help uh, our, our, young, our young people to see that worldview world and imbibe that, and then ultimately uh, to be able to live out of that so that we impact this world for Christ. We impact this world with the gospel. Many of us, though, as Christians, we can't articulate things as well as we should in our worldview. And we hear things from other worldviews that sound okay, and, and they sound right, and we adopt things into our worldview that don't belong there, and we get ourselves all confused. And so we've got to be very, very sharp as Christians. A worldview, as I mentioned before, this is just review, a worldview of any kind seeks to answer six questions. Uh, where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? What is wrong with this world? What should be done to fix it? Where am I going? I suppose there's more questions as well that could be contemplated, but those six definitely encompass a lot of it. And the Bible helps us to answer all of those questions. We looked at several passages we looked at Colossians 2, 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. So we understand that there's going to be a battle here. There's going to be that which will try to challenge our, our biblical worldview, undermine it, through deceit. And many Christians uh, don't intentionally give up their worldview, but are deceived into it. So 1 Peter tells us to gird up the loins of our mind, to be sober, and uh, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Christians have to be sober-minded. We've got to gird up the loins of our mind. We have, unfortunately, uh, mushy minds today. So much vegging takes place. You can veg out on your phone, veg out on your computer, veg out on the TV, just veg. And we are uh, vegetable brains. We're not engaged. We're not thinking. We're not assimilating things in accordance with the Word of God. And we wonder why things slip and we lose our kids and we lose the next generation and we can't convey what we believe. It doesn't, doesn't work. Well, we've got to be vigilant about this. First Peter tells us. Don't go back to the former lust in your ignorance. 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
and the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. These things are not to be part of the Christian's life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Remember, when we're talking about the world in 1 John 2.15, we're not talking about the people, we're talking about the system. And we'll see that more today as we look at John 17. God wants us to reach the people of the world, but we cannot become a succumb to the philosophy of the world. Therefore, we preach, as 2 Timothy 4.2 says, we preach the word. We're instant in season, out of season. We reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time shall come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but shall, after their own lusts, heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their hearts from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And we have this happening today. This world is believing fables, fantasies. They have given up on reality and they will invent their own reality. And now that which used to be absolute, two plus two equals four, maybe it doesn't. There's boys and there's girls. Maybe, maybe not. You know, we don't know what any, anything is anymore. And this is part of the devil's plan to confuse and muddy the waters because if there's no absolute truth, then there is no gospel. And if there's no gospel, there's no saving and Satan wins. We looked last week at Genesis chapter 13, and I'm not going to read all of this again, but we looked at Lot. It wasn't last week. It was last time I preached. You guys can interpret for me. I do that all the time. Next week, we'll talk about this. And you guys are like, next week is Easter, Pastor. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, but anyway, all right, the last time I preached on this, Lot was a guy who had the worldview of Abram, but he did not internalize it and could not convey it to his kids or the world around him, and he lost everything. In verse 10, he lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of God, like the land of Egypt, as thou cometh to Zoar. And he chose him all the plain of Jordan. Lot journeyed east and separated themselves one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And we talked about where he went wrong last week. Part one, we learned the importance of internalizing a biblical worldview in the midst of a secular society. And in part one, we remembered that there is a warning to us as believers. Deuteronomy 29, uh, and it came to pass when he heareth the words of this curse that he blessed himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart and add drunkenness to thirst, the Lord will not spare him. In part one, we, we, we just made the point that uh, we cannot say, I'm going to get away with this. It'll work out for me and my family. No, we have to be intentional. We have to know what we believe and why we believe it. Otherwise, we, we, we will be uh, right there with the same uh, catastrophe that this world is dealing with. Part two, we learned that Lot had sin in his life that eroded his faith. And sin, the life of a believer, erodes faith and undermines a biblical worldview, while nurturing faith undergirds it. Lot was brought by Abraham all over everywhere. He heard everything Abraham heard. He had the same traditions. He had the same ideals. He, he believed the same truth. He had the same worldview, but there was no 
continuity with Lot. It never impacted his family or his surroundings. Instead of producing a godly posterity, he produced perpetual enemies of the children of God forever. And that's sobering. To think that a guy can hang out with Abraham. Abraham! How many of you are looking forward to meeting Abraham one day? I mean, I'm looking forward to that, right? A lot was his sidekick, his little buddy. He learned from Abraham, the friend of God. And yet he could not internalize what Abraham believed and taught him to the point where he could convey it in a way that was believable. When he went to speak to his sons-in-law and his daughters, they couldn't take him seriously. They said, he's telling a joke. He's mocking. He's telling a joke. There was no conviction, and yet in his mind, I believe this. There's a God, and there's angels. Come on, guys, you don't believe this? They're looking at him, no, no, we don't believe that. What happened there? Well, I hope we can begin to see that more even today. Here, as we look at part three, we'll examine more closely the intricacies of well-meaning and sincere believers who are navigating a biblical worldview in the middle of a deteriorating society. There's a lot of intricacies, folks, and it's easy for us to think that we've checked all the boxes and we're, we're doing what we need to do. Uh, I think Lot probably thought that he was, he was doing right. His kids were going to be okay. But he missed... He missed the boat, and we can't afford to do this with our young people and with the generations to come. We often talk about the next generation and why are we losing the next generation? Why can't we keep young people in church? There's books written about it. There's podcasts. There's blogs. Are, are we no better than a lot? Are we not able to convey the truth in a way that is clear and convincing and honest and biblical? Why cannot we uh, communicate and transmit this worldview generationally? I believe we can, but sometimes we struggle. There are different ideas within Christianity as to what Lot's problem was. We all agree he had had a problem, Uh, but many of us... uh, we don't see it the same as far as what the problem was, okay? Some would say, he never should have desired the lush plains in the first place. He just never should have gone there. If he hadn't have been so materialistic and selfish, none of this would have happened. He should have been content. There's verses on content. Hebrews 13, 5. Be content. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So yeah, that's one answer. He could have just never gone there. But there's a lot of counter-arguments. God wants us to enjoy things. At my right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Taste and see that I am good. My God made a garden, after all, that was lush and beautiful. And the Bible says that this plain looked like the garden. Is it wrong to desire to live in a nice place? Is that where Lot went wrong? Well, Lot shouldn't have anything to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. He never should have been within spitting distance of Sodom and Gomorrah. He should have left them to their own destruction, just let them burn. And there's verses for that. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Talk about uh, being separate from evil. And we do believe as, as Christians, Bible-believing Baptists, Christians, we believe in separation from evil. 
But does that mean that we let the world go to hell? Does that mean that we separate to the point of, of just saying, Sodom and Gomorrah, there's no hope for you, and uh, you know, I'm just going to step away from this? I have to protect my family. I have to pre- protect my purity. And so therefore, you're gone. You know, the counter-argument would be Matthew 28, 19. The Great Commission, go into all the world and teach and preach the gospel, baptizing them. You know, there is, there is a message that needs to be gotten out to the uttermost part of the world. So uh, maybe Lot was a compromiser. That's what his problem was. Lot was a compromiser. He failed to hold the line. He didn't have good enough standards for his kids. Maybe he sacrificed a few rules and, and so forth and so on. There's a lot of verses on compromise. You could talk about Jehoshaphat, the compromiser from 2 Chronicles 19. But I would say uh, with, with Lot, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he had a lot of standards. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he just arbitrarily took various things from Abraham and just kept them going, but failed to see the uniqueness of his situation and the insufficiency of just carbon copying something from someone else. You know, many times we take a lazy approach. Standards can be very comfortable, very lazy. Just here's what grandpa did, here's what grandma did, here's what dad did. But what about your situation? Grandpa didn't live where you live. Grandpa wasn't alive in your day. And many times we, we think that we're right where we need to be. We've got the rules, we've got the standards, we've got all this stuff, and we're still missing the boat. Some of us will take from the lot story that we need to hunker down, bunker up, separate, isolate, shelter, defend, and protect against the likes of the world. And it, 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 many of us, we look at a guy like Lot and we begin to shake. You know, we just shake in our boats. Oh, I hope I don't do this. I hope I don't lose my kids. I hope I, I don't end like that. I mean, boy, what a catastrophe. And there needs to be some fear of God from these stories. But many of us, when we have a fear response, we then run the other way. And I believe that there is a need for us to recognize there was a way forward for Lot, I believe, just like there was for Daniel and his three friends when they were in Babylon, just like there was for any of the Israelites when they went into captivity, just like there was grace for Paul to go into Corinth, the apostles went two by two to Ephesus and all sorts of godless cities. You know, the, the, the uh, Cretans, we learn a lot about the Cretans, gluttons and full of lust, and yet God sent Titus there. There has to be a way to reach the world. I'm, I'm, I'm bogging down here. I've got to move forward, and I want to get to this. How do we avoid the pitfalls that Lot fell into while engaging the world through a biblical worldview? All right? John 17. I believe we'll let Jesus help us with a lot. All right? Let's let Jesus help us answer the question of what went wrong with Lot and how can we avoid this and how can we uh, impact our Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, I'm not saying that Ann Arbor is Sodom and Gomorrah, but I will say, as I said last time, there's, there's some Sodom and Gomorrah in Ann Arbor. Well, we're called to reach this city, and our church is named Ann Arbor Baptist Church. We've claimed the city. 
Should we do that? Maybe we should rename it to Calvary Baptist Church or Fellowship Baptist Church or Old Paths Baptist Church or something like that. You know, Ann Arbor Baptist. You're claiming the city. Yes, we are. And I believe John 17 is going to help us to know why we have done this. I have given them thy word, John 17, 14. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. There you go. Why are we named Ann Arbor Baptist Church? Why would we claim a city, many of whom do not believe in God, have no biblical worldview? Well, Jesus did not pray for us to leave this world. He prayed that we would be kept from the evil of it. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That's speaking of our identity. We'll come back to that. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Whoa, did you hear that? He didn't just say, Lord, don't take them out. He said, Lord, send them in. But, of course, keep them from the evil. Keep them from the evil by sanctifying them through thy truth, which is, of course, the word of God. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Verse 20, that's a cool verse. That is the verse where Jesus prayed for you. Did you know Jesus prayed for you? Right there, in verse 20. He said, I pray for those who will believe on me through their word. Praise God for that. Jesus saw you, and he saw me, and in this moment, he prayed for you. That they all may may be as one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Does it sound repetitive to you at all? Does it sound like I'm up here repeating myself? It's not my fault. Okay, I'm just reading it. Jesus is being very repetitive here. He is talking about how important it is for us to be as one. Unity, very, very important. When we get pulled aside, when we get isolated, when we get pulled apart, we are more vulnerable. Lot and Abraham were separated. And, and they were not unified as one going into the darkness of that world. And Lot was not, had not been sufficiently sanctified through the word to be able to handle it on his own. He did not do so well. Jesus recognized that we won't do so well either if we're on our own. He says, I want them to be as one as we are one, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them and that thou hast loved me. Did you know that the world doesn't know what to do with a bunch of unified Christians. It shouldn't work for us to all be so diverse and 
yet we sit here and sing the same songs and worship the same Savior. There is something about unity that gets the attention of the lost and dying world. He says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I'm glad for that too. He wants us to be with him where he is. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. What does he come down to in verse 26? He wants them to know his name and to declare his name. And he wants them to know all about his love. Do you know, we need to know more about his love for us and to have a deeper love for him if we're going to be able to stand in the evil day. There is no amount of teaching, training, preparing, standard-making rule-enforcing that can substitute a heart that loves the Lord Jesus. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you cultivate a heart of love, you will actually need less of all of the other stuff. I have to have a lot of rules in my family, especially when the kids are little, because when the kids are little, we're just born sinners, and you come out of that womb loving self, and that's about it. I love me, I want to eat now. I love me, I want to wake up the whole family at 3 a.m. I want to be burped. I want to be changed. I want this. We just love ourselves when we're little. That's how it goes. And when you have self-loving individuals, you need tons of structure, tons of standards, tons of rules and regulations just to keep that kid alive. But as there is maturing, some of those things are no longer necessary. And when the day comes when that young person gives you their heart and you can tell, this one loves me. My kid loves me, loves my spouse, and even better yet, my kid loves the Lord. And you cultivate that heart of love. The more you spend your energies cultivating that heart of love, you'll find you're spending less energy swinging a switch I don't mean a Nintendo. Sorry, kids. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to swing it. Dad, will you swing a switch at me? Boy, oh boy, different generation. You'll find that there's a lot less time spent with all of the rules and regulations and the commandments and the discipline and the threats and the bartering and whatever else parents do these days. There's less of that when you have the heart of that child. That, that child just loves you and wants to please you and wants to please the Lord. Folks, what Lot needed was more love for the Lord. I think Lot took a whole lot for granted when he took his family into Sodom. He had been walking with Abraham, a man who was a friend of God, a man who loved God, and he was under this umbrella of, of, of God's goodness and protection, and he had no idea how good he had it, and it wasn't because of him, it was because of Abraham. 
Abraham's faith, Abraham's love, Abraham's commitment, and Lot was kind of along for the ride. And Lot's like, yeah, I can do this. I've got this. Yeah, I see all this plane. I want to go this way. And here we go. Whoosh, off he goes. I know the game. I know we pray to God. I know we worship this way. I know this. I know the drill. I know what we do. I know our standards. We, we, we wash our hands or whatever else we do before we eat. And, uh, you know, all our different rules. And he goes in, and I imagine he sits his family down, and he raises them with the same rules and regulations that he's always had. But without that foundation of love, it all breaks down. Let's look at what Christ did here. The outline is very simple. Christ prayed for us, for disciples, that we would be safe from the evil, sanctified through the word, sent into the world, and solidified as one. We'll get into all four of those in a minute. But first of all, he prayed that we would be safe from the evil. Christ prayed that we'd be safe from the evil. He prayed not that, we, okay, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I'm going to move through this quickly because I want to get some application at the end, and if I run out of time, which I'm going to, we'll, we'll pick this up tonight at 6 in my life group. Uh, but I'm going to move through this. All right. <clears throat> We're in the world, but not of the world. Christians oftentimes in their zeal for purity are reactionary. That's what we tend to do. Our default answer for everything is separation. If we ever get in a situation and it's bad, whoa, cut it all off. Just cut it off. Run away in the other direction. We just, we, 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 we react to everything. And uh, we get in the habit of running and separating as opposed to Sometimes we need to stay where we are, but change how we think. Change how, how, how we are ass assessing the situation. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of verses about drastic amputation and separation and so forth, but many of this can lead us into isolation. We need to separate from sin. But we also need to stay engaged where God put us. This is a fine balance. Christians, in an effort to, make, to not make the same mistakes as Lot, sometimes forsake their mission of reaching the world. We run from the world for fear of succumbing to the world as though the world is this force that cannot be reckoned with. Whatever happened with, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. There are verses we need to balance. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we flee youthful lusts, Run! but also follow. Don't forget to follow. Some Christians, all they do is run. Run from this, run from that, run from the other thing. Hide my kids, hide my kids, hide my kids. You can't hide from the devil. He's going to find you. And so you'd better be following after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You got to have it in balance, friend. I don't want to do like Lot, so let's just run from this situation. No, God said, I pray not that you take them from the world, but you would keep them from the evil. Stay where you're at, but re-focus uh, on how you're going to deal with these issues. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, 14, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill it in the lust thereof. Many Christians only hear the second half of that verse. Oh, it can't be here, because I can't make provision for the flesh. Oh, it's God here. Don't make provision for the flesh. Hey, yeah, yeah, that's half the verse. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord could call you somewhere that's uncomfortable. 
And the Lord could tell you to go in someplace that's uncomfortable. And if you have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have your armor on. It don't go in without that, by the way. John 4, 1 John 4, 4, year of God, little children have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We don't have to fear, oh no, what if this happens to me? Lot went down with his whole family. What if this happens to me? We don't have to fear. The devil's a defeated foe. Greater, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We're on the victory side. We don't just need to let Sodom burn. We need to take a different approach. Oftentimes, as I mentioned, we're fear-driven fear in our thinking. We allow fear to put us on the defensive rather than letting faith put us on the offensive. We fear so much the influence of evil, yet we underestimate the influence of faith. This verse actually says that we're guarded by God himself. I want them to be in the world, not of the world. I want them to be guarded by God themselves. Thou shouldest keep them from the evil. What does it say there? Thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Who is the thou? That's God. Folks, I'm a parent. I got five kids. I want to protect them from every evil that I can. But ultimately, I'm realizing more and more and more I can't. God has to do it. And I am trusting God to help me. I'm not going to be passive. I'm going to be active. But I am not self-dependent. I, don't, I can't do this. God has to keep them from the evil. I'm not going to be able to keep them from discovering this or, uh, or being uh, uh, accosted by that or whatever. There's all kinds of temptations out there. Really, the thing I want to spend my energy on more than just, I don't want my kid to ever run into this situation. No, no, I'm going to spend my energy on, here's what you do when you run into this situation. I remember being on the basketball court and a girl propositioned me. If you don't know what that means, I was a 16-year-old and this girl wanted me to take her home. And I won't go into the whole thing. So what do you do? My parents had trained me what to do in the situation, how to handle the situation. They did not say, by the way, I went home and told my parents, hey, guess what happened at the basketball court? My parents did not say, you will never go back to that court again. Folks, actually, I saw drug deals happen at the basketball court all the time. There were pickups, guys and girls getting together. There was a house just adjacent to the basketball court. Parents were always drunk, and the kids would go in there and do whatever they wanted. And there was a a room where they would all go in and fornicate. And the girls would come out of there with the dressed in the, in the boy's shirt after they were done. So you, they, you'd see him go in, and then she'd come out with the boy's shirt, and that was the symbol of uh, what had taken place. I played basketball there. I saw all of this happen. I knew what was happening. I had my brothers. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right, that was important. My parents were very involved in our lives. Dad was talking to us. I've told you this. He would talk to us all the time. Every question. But he didn't say you can never go back to that court. What my mom and dad spent their energies doing was investing in us how to think through these things. Where is that going? What does that do? I knew what the drugs were. Never, I never ever tried them. I knew what happened in the, in the fornication house. I never went in there. Uh, I, I, I learned a lot of stuff. But we processed it all. 
And therefore, I can honestly say none of it was really a temptation. I saw the garbage for what it was. These kids weren't happy. They were strung out. They were a mess. But I can tell you this, there is an allurement for that which you never, ever get to see. Your parents are just hiding you, hiding you, hiding you, hiding you. And eventually you're like, Mom, can I see? I want to see something. They're going to see at some point. You had better spend most of your energy investing in. Here's how you think this through. Here's why we believe this. Here's what this means. Here's where this goes. Here's what, what God's word says. We need to know more than just the fear. We fear so much the influence of evil, yet we underestimate the influence of faith. And we recognize that God is protecting us as we are internalizing his word. And that's the next point. Uh, they were guarded by God through their, this divine protection and a clear identity. What did he say? They are, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I'll tell you this. That was one thing I knew as a kid. I'm not of this world. I'm not better than them. I'm not saying that. But this ain't home. I'm at the basketball court because I love ball. But this is not my tribe. These are not my guys. You know, this is, this is uh, these kids are hurting. We, we brought them to church by the scores. They came to vacation Bible school. They came to teen events. They came to different things. Christ was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Why? He knew who he was. But do we know who we are? Christ was not of the world, so are we not of the world. The problem is not the evil. The problem is, I'm sorry, the problem is not the world. The problem is the evil. There we go. The solution is not to be taken out of the world. It is to be present yet pure. That's the key takeaway. We're to be present yet pure. Secondly, he prayed that we would be sanctified through the word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Folks, we have got to get in our hearts and in our children's hearts the truth which sanctifies, the truth which sets us apart. Sometimes all we do is focus on the standards. Standards are guardrails. Standards keep you from going off a cliff into the ditch. They're protective. They're defensive measures. But what's better than guardrails is knowing how to drive. I don't want to live scraping the paint off. Just living on that guardrail. And, and when, when all we do is focus on, uh, we need more rules. And we say, okay, what's going on with Johnny? Oh, Johnny's this and Johnny's that. Well, okay, we're, okay, take away his tablet. Take away his phone. Take away this. Take away, take away everything. Lock him down. We're going to lock him down to Jesus. And Johnny hates God. And we don't know why Johnny hates God. And we're like, what in the world? Don't you love Jesus the way we love Jesus? I'm locked down. You can be locked down and we'll love it together. Only we're not. And we need to, I tell you, sometimes you do have to take away a tablet. I understand that. When it gets abused, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. You may have to take it away for a while while we say, we're going to learn about this. You got this too soon. We've got to step back and learn some truth. But a lot of times we don't get into the heart issues and the truth of the word of God that sets us free. He said, I want them to be sanctified to the word. Did you know that you can be set apart because of God's word doing a work in you? 
Not just set apart because this rule that I have sets me apart. Not just set apart because this standard sets me apart. But set apart because this is what the Word of God is saying and this is how I'm applying it. And yes, that's going to flesh out in some standards. I'm not saying that. But the internalization of the Word is the only defense against the infiltration of the world. Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And it works, folks. I know it works. When you get into the word and you get into the word, God's word teaches you, strengthens you, changes your desires. The sanctification of the word is what sets us apart to the truth. And you cannot strong arm it. You cannot carbon copy it. You cannot clone it. The Bible says it in Ephesians 5.26 that he may sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. It's the word that sanctifies the church. Psalm 119.105, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The only scrub brush for the brain is the word of God. And we do, in this world, pick up all kinds of dirt. What happens when you work on the job site with asphalt? You come home smelling like asphalt and asphalt's sticking to you. You got to wash that off. But don't quit your job. Well, so the Word of God is that scrub brush. It sanctifies, it sets apart. If you've got a child and you're having a hard time, they're just a, a, their head is just not where it needs to be, their heart is not where it needs to be. They just need more of the Word. You need to talk through the principles of the word and let the word do its work over time. The key takeaway here, takeaway here is that we're to be sanctified through the word. We're to be present yet pure and we're to be sanctified through his word. Thirdly, he prayed that we would be sent into the world. As thou hast sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. He did not pray that we'd be taken out of the world. He prayed we would be sent into it. When the Twin Towers came down, everyone was fleeing the area except for the ones who were sent into it. That's you and me. We're sent in. We had better be trained. We'd better have our suit on. We better know what we're doing. But God help us to have those things so that we can be sent into the world. He did not pray for us to be taken out. He prayed for us to go in uh, and, and on a mission key takeaway we are to be sent with a purpose that the world may believe that thou hast sent me i don't have much time but i want to spend the rest on this fourth one christ prayed that we would be solidified as one this is huge that they all may be one as thou father art in me and i in thee that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. That's four times in three verses at least, maybe five times. Christ's desire for his disciples is clearly for unity, and it is this unified, solid base that impacts the world, that they may know that thou hast sent me. Christ's desire is for unity. And if we're to avoid the pitfalls of Lot and his family and efficiently engage the world with the gospel, it's imperative that we learn how to become as one in this pursuit. Now, when I say one, I don't mean we're all going to look the same, talk the same, act exactly the same, be like clones. 
I'm not trying to make the clone army, okay? Uh, we are Christians, which means we're going to be very, very, very diverse, very different, very unique, and yet something unites us. And there's where the strength is. The unity demonstrated by Christ's disciples is a testimony to the believers that the unbelievers of the power of God. That's said twice in this passage, that they may see through this unified, solidified oneness, they would see that you have sent us. When people of various backgrounds, all sorts of differences, conflicting personalities and perspectives are able to be unified in Christ, people take notice. Unity, despite complexity, is a powerful testimony. And I would say this. I would say it's actually more powerful to have differences within a church than it is for us all to be completely 100% lockstep, carbon copies of one another. That just seems cultish. That just seems like there's something weird going on here. But when you see people straight off the street that got saved yesterday loving Jesus, you see people who grew up here loving Jesus and loving one another, growing together, coming together, there is a story there that's powerful. What's keeping you guys here? It's the love of Jesus. There's power in the complexity of a body. Within our church, we individually express our desire for purity and protection from a sin-cursed world in various ways. So remember, let's go back to Lot. We don't want to be like Lot. He got sucked into the evil. Let's not do that. And so we see that, and we all say, I want to, I want to make this standard, and I, want to, I call it this way, and I've got my way of seeing this from where I came from, but it's different. We have different standards of dress. We have different standards of entertainment choices. Our musical choices will be slightly different. We even have differences concerning uh, holidays observed or not observed. Uh, we've got differences concerning political affiliations and political involvement. How much should we be involved? Some Christians are very, very uh, convinced that we need to be very involved in politics. Others are very convinced that we should not be involved in politics. We have different ideas about standards of, of finding God's mate and romantic relationships and all these different things. We have the Word of God that gives us principles, uh, and we have the Word of God that tells us what sin is, and various uh, different ones of us draw various lines to keep ourselves from sin. And that's good. But then sometimes we don't like each other because you draw a different line than me. And we, we, we begin to get divided and we begin to, to get offended. I've had this standard for 20 years. And anybody with a Bible and a brain can see that this standard is obviously what we're going to do to keep from this sin. What's wrong with so-and-so? And next thing you know, we're kind of getting at one another. Yes, actually, folks, believe it or not, this happens in Baptist churches. And instead of keeping our focus where it needs to be, we're now focused on each other. You use a different, uh, 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 you, you use a different version than me, so I don't like you. And you have different dress standards, so I don't like you. And you're not careful with this, and blah, 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 blah. Do you think Jesus saw any propensity for this with his disciples? 
How are these guys going to hang together as they go out? They need each other. The world needs them to be unified. So he prayed for it over and over and over and over. In our desire for purity within the world, we don't want to be lot. Many of us have too easily sacrificed the unity of the brethren. We've ignored the biblical principle of individual soul liberty of the believer. If you don't know what that is, you need to go look that one up. We as Baptists believe in the individual soul liberty of the believer. It means that we believe that each person has a conscience, each person has the Holy Spirit, and each person has a Bible. And each person is responsible to God to read his Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit and through their conscience figure out what God wants them to do for their life and for their family. And shock of shocks, folks, though we all have one Holy Spirit and one Bible, we end up with different standards. That shouldn't actually shock us because we're all so different. If you got saved out of a bar, you may need certain standards to keep yourself safe from the evil of this world. If you don't even know what a bar is, you may not need all of those same standards. And so we need much grace with each other, but oftentimes, folks, we don't have grace. We're too afraid to trust individual soul liberty of the other believer. We, we also are too afraid to entrust a believer to the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit, and you know what that means? Do what I tell you to do. Now, wait a minute. That's not exactly following the Holy Spirit. We get nervous when another, when another Christian's pilgrimage takes a different route than ours. And then I, I think it's interesting, too, how we get so offended over stuff. When someone doesn't have my standards, I'll just be honest with you, I oftentimes am frustrated by that. And maybe even offended by that. Because I prayed about that thing. And I researched that. And I have scripture. And I have this guy and this guy and this guy also who are men of God and they have that standard. And you don't have that standard. I'm offended at you. I'm frustrated at that. And what's interesting is, you have some standard that I don't have, and you're frustrated at me. You're offended at me. And so we spend our time looking at each other like, what's wrong with you? And our kids, if we're not careful, pick up on this. And this is where the wheels begin to fall off the wagon of worldview. When we make the big deal my interpretation or my personal standard and we demonize the people who don't when the kids realize that so-and-so actually isn't a demon he's a good guy loves the lord what's going on here they start looking what's going on what is mom and dad telling me what is all of this Th that church a horrible church over there because they don't do such and such and that person over there they're a terrible person because they left our church and of course anybody who leaves our church is a terrible person and so you know and but lo and behold i went over to a youth activity and they're not all demons over there and lo and behold this guy that left the church he doesn't seem so bad either and then what happens is sometimes the kids then react too far from that 
Well, if that was a lie and that was a lie, then maybe there's more lies. And, and before you know it, they're looking for who else is sincere that I was told was not sincere. And now they're going, and then the devil will be ready for that. He's waiting with someone to grab him and take him a different direction. The Bible simply said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy truth. We need to keep it the word of God, keep it the word of God, keep it the word of God. Sometimes uh, we are... And we lose the, the unity because it, it's all about this is what I believe because dad believed it and grandpa believed it and boy, this is for grandpa. And kids say, I don't really care about grandpa. But I don't see this in the word of God. And sometimes kids want to talk to us about the word of God. And when you as a parent aren't willing to have a talk about the word of God, but you just want to say this is what we do, you just undermined worldview. You just undermine the continuation, the ability to move your worldview forward. And what happens then is, is again, the wheels fall off the wagon. Many of us value purity so much that we, we, we major on separation to the extent that we end up isolated, weak, unable to adequately process, it, process the challenges around us. We say we love our brothers, but if you boil it down to it, we love our convictions most of all. And many of us Baptists, we are separatists because the Bible says we should separate. But unfortunately, most Baptists I know have done more separating from Baptists than they have from the world. From evil, the evil of the world. But we've got to recognize, folks, when I read John 17, as he, Jesus Christ himself is just pouring out his heart for his disciples, and this is a, a huge prayer because he is about to be gone. He didn't just pour his heart out, I hope you all can say it just the right way. You all need to say the same thing exactly the same way and be carbon copies of each other, and you just gotta, you gotta, it wasn't all about that. He recognized Peter's a fisherman and a knucklehead, and you got Matthew's a, a tax collector, and he's a, he's a geek. And you've got different people in different walks of life who are going to have different struggles, different temptations, and they're going to see some things differently, but there can still be unity as we are sanctified by the truth. And our desire sometimes to avoid compromise at all costs. Some of us have, of course, we've taken on each other. Well, many of us have also refused to accept change of any kind. We look at people like Lot, and we say, I don't want to be Lot. Lot was a compromiser. And compromiser, we have wed with change. That's not true. If you don't change, you will never grow. Growth and change actually are, 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 are connected. Some change is bad, some change is good. We look at Lot, and we say his problem was he changed. Actually, I would say Lot's problem was he didn't change enough. Meaning this, he had never faced this level of temptation before. Whatever worked when he was tag along to Abraham wasn't going to work there. Let me put it to you this way. Battlegrounds change from generation to generation. So uh, <clears throat> there was a time when uh, I've got, I got a friend older friend in the ministry, and uh, he never wore jeans, ever. 
because jeans in the 60s were associated with the hippies, and the hippies were rebels. And so good Christian young men in the 60s didn't wear jeans. And pastors thundered it from pulpits. You don't wear jeans. If you love Jesus, if you're a rebel, you wear jeans. But if you don't, you don't wear jeans. Now, don't laugh, okay? <laughs> that seems weird to us. Now, I was there years later when I went to a ball game with that preacher who never wore jeans day in his life. And he told me, today I'm doing something I've never done before. We're going to the ball game, and I'm wearing jeans. I was like, <gasps> I need to sit down. I said, okay, well, what's going on? What happened? And I thought, my first thought was, okay, I wear jeans, but he's never worn jeans. And I thought, is he compromising? Is this wicked sin? And he said, you know what? This was a battle for a certain day. That day is gone. And jeans are no longer associated with hippies. And I'm not wearing bell bottoms. <laughs> and he said, you know what? By me continuing this standard, it actually undermines what I believe. Catch this. When you continue a standard that no longer has any relevance whatsoever, you are now saying to your kids, your constituency, or whoever, this is what it's all about. This standard, it's what it's all about. But Jesus didn't say that. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And I want you to be unified as one. Now we have difficulty with unity. We really do because some of us are holding a certain standard that we've been holding for ages and other of us, others of us have said that's no longer the battle here. That's no longer the issue today. I'm not going to hold that anymore. I'm going this direction. And someone says, whoa, you can't do that. You just dropped the flag. We've been here. We've been holding this hill for 40 years. <laughs> now, on that note, sometimes the battle does move around. Vietnam War, take the hill. Now go take that hill. But I took this hill. I want to go to that hill. Take that hill, right? Uh, and people get mad about taking one hill over and over and over and then taking that hill over there. Sometimes battles move around. Many of us, though, we have our favorite preachers. This preacher preached on this standard. On this day of 1978, I took this hill, and I'm not leaving it. I'll be here when Jesus comes. Never mind that maybe the commander-in-chief is saying, I want you on this hill now. No. Dr. So-and-so preached this message in 1979. I took this hill, and I'm not moving for nobody. But what does it become? It's become about me, my people, my tribe, my pride. I took that hill. And now if I don't take, if I leave that hill, what, am I, what do I say to my kids? Exactly what you should say to your kids. This has never been about a person or a tribe or a certain standard or a certain conviction. We have always been after one thing. There's a biblical worldview. There's a secular worldview. The secular worldview is falling apart. We don't even know what a man is and what a woman is. We don't know what, you know, what, what truth is anymore. And so we are holding standards. We're holding convictions 
that are fighting against these things in these days that we're in. But things take shape, things mold, things, things move and continue to develop. And some of us, we move with that differently than others, and then we fall out. We fall out with our own kids. We fall out with our grandkids. We fall out with one another. And we lose this beautiful thing that Jesus prayed for, that they may be one and made perfect in one. Christians, when I grew up, I'm out of time. I've got tons more notes, so I'll bring it up to 6 o'clock tonight. But Christians grew up, like me, many of you grew up, with hearing from pulpits, Christians do not go to the movie house, period. How many of you grew up with that? If that's familiar to you. And so we made a standard. We do not go to a movie house. Where did that preaching start? It started way back, like Billy Sunday, when the, 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 the silent movie house and, the, and then the, the, the black and white movie house and somehow we only have ever made it about the movie house. And we, to this day, many of us still don't go to the movie house. We have TVs, DVD players, Blu-rays, streaming on Netflix, streaming, streaming, streaming. Every, we got, we don't do cable, because we also, cables of the devil. But as long as it's YouTube TV, it's fine. As long as it's a streaming system, then it's okay. And we have all these different things we do, and so we hold to certain arbitrary standards which, by the way, I'm not saying that the one guy shouldn't have wore jeans in the 60s, that that was dumb. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't have gone to movie houses. I'm saying there was, there was a secular worldview that was coming at us. The biblical worldview was pressing back, and we drew certain lines. But for the next generation, we didn't see what was going on. All we saw was the lines. That's all we saw. We just took those things with us. We lost the rest. And we've done that. I've got a, a bunch more stuff here I could get into. Maybe we'll do it tonight. So many different situations where we have lost the big picture. And then we fight with one another about all of this stuff. And then what happens is there's collateral damage. It's the young people. And they don't know what to do with this. Like, Dad, why, we're, why, 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 why is it we can't go to the movie house, but we can go to an IMAX? I don't know, kid, that's just the way it is. <laughs> Every Baptist knows it. The IMAX is okay. The movie house is not. All right? And these things don't make sense. But when you get back to the Word, what did he ask of us? He said, I want you to stay in the world, but keep them from the evil in it. I want you to be sanctified through the, through the truth. The word of God is the truth. You'd better know the word of God. You better wrestle with the word of God. You better spend all your time and energies in the word of God and getting the word of God into your family. You can't give them all the standards that they need for the future because you don't even know what the future holds. Anybody see chat GPT coming? You cannot prepare your kids for the future without the Word of God. That's it. He said, I want you to be sent into the world on a mission. 
and I want you to be solidified as one. We are to be unified before the world. We need grace with one another. There's going to be differences in how we see things. There's going to be differences with how we are, are, are uh, articulating things. But we've got to make sure that we are not so quick to separate. So many Christians, so quick to walk out the door. Oh, that church, this and this and this. I'm out. That guy, you see, he's not even a serious Christian. I'm out. And we just cut, 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 cut. Separation in the Bible is, is, is meant to be from the evil of the world. You and I are meant to get along. We're meant to be solidified as one. It's powerful against the devil. Six o'clock tonight, I'll, I'll, I'll finish some of my thoughts, and I want you to come with yours. Maybe I opened a can of worms just now, I'm not sure. But tonight, we'll, we'll break this down a little bit more because I believe we need to talk about the navigating the intricacies of our worldview as we're pushing back on the evil of this world. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you would help us to heed the words of Christ, and may we have humility. May we have a teachable spirit. May we be firm where you've led us, led us to stand. But may we also be gracious with one another. Lord, help us to be in the world, but not on the, of the world, protected from the evil of the world, sanctified by the word of truth, sent as you were sent, and solidified as one. Pray in your name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just one moment as the panel plays. Take a moment just to talk to the Lord about your need. If you have a need, I'd love to talk to you. If you've got a uh, particular question, come back tonight. If you're not sure you're saved, I hope that you would take a time today to talk to me or one of us here. We can take a Bible and show you how you know you're saved. stand to our feet. I'm going to ask Pastor CJ, is he here? I didn't see Pastor CJ. All right. Um, Pastor Drew, come and close us in a word of prayer. Tonight at 6, we will be back here for our life groups. I always look forward to hearing what God is doing in your heart, the thoughts that you have, the questions you have as we continue to apply God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the truth for our lives. And thank you that every issue in our life we can carry to your word and find answers. But I pray for um, the discussion tonight, that you would help it to be fruitful for us. I pray you would bring more clarity and more truth. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity today to, to, to gather with our brothers and sisters. I pray you be with us as we go now. In Jesus' name, amen.